In April 1483, Edward IV died. It was most unexpected, but not quite as unexpected as its consequences. But, well, it happens. Kings, like everyone else, die. And some, like Edward IV, die earlier than anticipated. The immediate problem, of course, was that the heir to the throne was only 12 years old. Well, so what? Henry VI was less than one year old when he became king, yet he succeeded peacefully enough. So what was so special about the accession of Edward V? Well, let's get a few things clear to start with. Firstly, whatever anyone says about the events of 1483, be they an eminent historian or simply an interested student of the period, we are all hamstrung by the lack of clear evidence about the motives and, in some instances, the actions of those who played a leading part. We are therefore forced to draw conclusions and attribute motivation on a few scraps of evidence. Perhaps as a consequence of this fact, I have often heard it said or seen it written, especially online, that we can't be certain of anything in 1483, so therefore any interpretation of the events is possible. This, of course, is complete nonsense, because despite the deficiencies of the evidence, there is a great deal that we do know about the events of 1483. The problem for all of us studying the period revolves around several key issues which are impossible now to fathom, despite the valiant attempts of many to do so. One of these imponderables is the death of the princes in the tower as they are known. We don't know who killed them, but in the end, does it actually matter much? I don't think so. So I shall ignore the demise of the princes for now and concentrate instead on what happens before all that. As far as I'm concerned, who killed the princes tells me nothing about what really matters. There are so many ridiculous ideas put forward about the period immediately after the king's death that it's difficult to know where to start. Let me remind you again that the king's illness and subsequent death were a shock. No one was prepared. If anyone tells you that the Woodvilles poisoned him to seize control, please tell them they're an idiot. The Woodvilles were far stronger with Edward IV alive than dead. If they were trying to seize power at all, they would have been a lot more organised. As it was, they were on the back foot along with everyone else. When Edward IV died, no one was really ready for a new king. It was a bit like the railway service after a week of snow. The rolling stock and the drivers were all in the wrong place. In the spring of 1483, neither of the two main players, the new King Edward V and the old king's brother, Richard of Gloucester, who was most likely to be named Protector, was in the right place. Both were far from the centre of power in London, where the late king's council was attempting to thrash out a programme for what should happen next. They were doing so without knowing the wishes of the most powerful man in the kingdom or the new king himself. But in the absence of the old king and the absence of his son and heir and the absence of the likely protector, someone had to make some decisions about what should happen next. This awkward task, of course, fell to those councillors, still empowered to act until a new authority was in place. 
Amongst them, there was a clear division. Those who thought that the new king's affinity with his Woodville relations would cause problems for the realm, and those who did not see it that way. The leading members of the Woodville family in the capital were Queen Elizabeth and her son, Thomas Marquis of Dorset. Neither was an especially humble being, and their confidence in their position certainly unnerved the Lord Chamberlain and Captain of Calais, William Hastings. His bitter rival, Dorset, commanded the Tower of London, and Hastings, concerned that Earl Rivers would escort the new king from Ludlow to London with a large army at his back, threatened to withdraw to Calais, where he had a ready-made army of his own. After some probably quite heated discussion, the council agreed that Rivers would limit the force escorting the king to no more than 2,000 men, and that the date of the coronation would be the 4th of May. The sooner Edward was crowned, the more influence the Woodvilles expected to have over affairs of state. Conversely, the less influence the likes of Gloucester or Hastings would have. Small wonder, then, that Hastings wrote to the Duke of Gloucester, urging him to come south with all possible speed, lest he lose control of the events. Another nobleman, Henry Stafford, Duke of Buckingham, also appeared to be in communication with Gloucester in April 1483. He too, we are told later by chroniclers, hated the Woodvilles and feared they would take over. But hang on, let's take a step back, shall we? What is this supposed Woodville takeover bid based upon? It's based upon the fact that Rivers had the king, Dorset had the tower, and Sir Edward Woodville, the Queen's brother, commanded the fleet. So presumably, Earl Rivers was racing to London with the young king. Well, no, he wasn't. In fact, it seemed to take forever for the young King Edward to even set off from Ludlow, let alone get to London. Rivers was in such a hurry, he even agreed to make a detour to meet the Dukes of Gloucester and Buckingham en route. The idea that Rivers was plotting a coup is laughable, but the possibility might not have been so amusing for Gloucester. Did the Woodvilles expect to have great influence under Edward V? Yes, of course they did. Would they aim to reduce Gloucester's influence? More than likely. But were they planning any sort of military coup? No, not at all. There is no credible evidence at all for that possibility. Rivers was a confident and capable leader, but everything we know about him suggests that he would have preferred to work with Gloucester rather than against him. We have already established that there was no history of bad blood between the two men, which is exactly why Rivers met Gloucester on April the 29th, 1483, at Northampton. He neither feared nor distrusted the Duke. If we assume that Rivers was not part of a coup against Gloucester, then the whole idea of a Woodville plot becomes ridiculous. The Queen's inability to raise any forces herself was amply demonstrated by her swift flight into sanctuary when she heard of her brother's arrest. It's not exactly Game of Thrones. I mean, she's hardly Cersei Lannister, is she? That leaves us with Edward Woodville and his fleet, blissfully unaware that there was any sort of crisis at all, until after Gloucester 
had seized control. And, of course, there was the man that Hastings feared so much, the Marquis of Dorset. But Dorset on his own was a vain and unreliable nothing, a fact he proved time after time in the years to come. The idea of a Woodville conspiracy was concocted afterwards to justify their arrest and, even at the time, the few wagon loads of weapons exhibited in May as evidence of their warlike intent were regarded as irrelevant window dressing. All right, so if there was no actual military coup planned to destroy Gloucester, why then did he seize power? First of all, let's dispense with the he was a monster argument. Clearly, he was not a monster, because the whole of his life up to 1483 tells us that. But that same life also tells us very clearly that when his own interests were threatened, Gloucester would use any means, outside the law if necessary, to defend them. This is not a matter of opinion, but fact. It did not make him a monster, but it did mean that he believed that his own interests trumped all other considerations. I see a great parallel between his actions and those of his ever-disappointed father, Richard Duke of York. Egged on by Hastings, who feared the influence of the ambitious Dorset, Gloucester did indeed hurry south, meeting up with Henry of Buckingham on the way. We've said a little about Buckingham before. He was the invisible man of Edward IV's England. Edward had given him no influence at all, so he was a festering invisible man, whose pride and royal lineage made certain that he would never forget the slight. The historian Desmond Seward describes Buckingham as being clever and possessing genuine personal magnetism. Well, that is a Buckingham I just don't recognise. If he was clever, then it was a form of low cunning. Indeed, a bit more intelligence might have helped him to impress Edward IV. And personal magnetism? Compared to whom? Gloucester, like his father, and unlike his older brothers, had no such magnetism. So perhaps Buckingham impressed him, but I doubt it. Gloucester was a shrewd judge of men, and I'm sure he saw Buckingham as a willing and rather gullible ally. Some have suggested that the arrest of Rivers and his nephew Richard Grey at Northampton was Buckingham's idea. And it's certainly possible, because it's just the sort of spiteful and provocative act you might expect of a man long out in the cold and anxious to punish anyone he saw as responsible. But I still can't quite see it. Either Gloucester already intended to seize Rivers before he even arrived at Northampton, or he took an opportunity that presented itself. I suspect it was the latter, because Gloucester could not have known how few men Rivers would bring with him. But in the end, whoever first had the idea, Gloucester must have sanctioned it. In my view, what happened after that arrest was almost inevitable. It radically changed the political situation in the kingdom and raised worrying questions for all about what might happen next. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. It's so easy to do in 1483. Why did Gloucester resort to arresting Rivers at all? 
Surely, since the two men appeared to get on well enough during their evening together, they could have worked together under the new king, as other royal dukes had before them. It might not have been easy, but it would surely have been possible. So why was Richard not prepared to attempt conciliation? There are several strands to this answer. At a very simple political level, you could argue that Hastings' warning against the Woodville threat gave Gloucester genuine cause for concern, and the absence of a Woodville plot in 1483 does not of course mean that they would not have threatened Gloucester's position and interests later in the reign. But how might they have done so? What was it that Gloucester was afraid of? Surely Gloucester was a power in the north. Even his own brother had barely curtailed his power. His excellent working relationship with both Northumberland and Stanley made him virtually unassailable. His power and resources far outweighed those of all the Woodvilles put together. So how could they possibly threaten him? Well, if you've been paying attention, you'll already know. You will recall that much of Gloucester's land was not his outright. Some was in the gift of the king, now a new king. Other lands could be claimed by members of the Neville family after Gloucester's death, threatening the security of his family and especially his young son. These weighty matters, which affected Gloucester deeply, would soon be in the hands of a 12-year-old boy and his chief advisers. Even if Gloucester was among those advisers, he might not be able to prevent the others from weakening his land holdings. At 15, in less than three years' time, the new king would come of age, and Gloucester's fate would be entirely in his nephew's hands. Better, perhaps, to remove some potential rivals while he could, even if doing so threatened his future working relationship with the young king. Clearly, Gloucester feared those around the prince, because when he arrived at Stony Stratford to meet the young king, he arrested his chamberlain, Sir Thomas Vaughan, a faithful Yorkist who was then in his seventies. We can deduce from the various accounts of Gloucester's first meeting with the new king that young Edward made a spirited protest at the arrest of the close advisers who had managed his household for the past ten years. The queen, hearing the news of the arrest of her brother and son, fled to sanctuary at Westminster Abbey. Dorset, too, fled into hiding possibly at Westminster, possibly elsewhere. With the Queen in sanctuary, Dorset on the run and Rivers arrested, you might assume that Gloucester felt relatively safe. But the story of 1483 is that he clearly did not feel safe. Why? Who was there left to fear? The answer, of course, was Edward V himself. The youth, like his father, might respect his opponent's temporary advantage, but he would wait for his moment to regain the initiative. I suspect that Gloucester feared this and knew what would happen in a few years' time when the king ended his minority. I think it is helpful to understand that everything that happened next had nothing to do with the Woodvilles. It was all to do with the king himself and his relationship with his uncle, Richard of Gloucester. <laughs>